Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Welcome to Dance Talks. My guest today is Fern Bernstein, the author of a new book called Staunch, which is about Little Edie and Big Edie. Uh, that should ring a bell. If it doesn't, by the end of this uh, podcast, it will, I hope. I will start by mentioning that Big Edie and Little Edie were, um, their last name was Beale, and uh, they lived in East Hampton in a mansion, and which was a wreck, and falling apart, and vines coming all over it. And uh, they uh, wound up being the subject of a documentary, at least two movies, several books, I think even a coloring book. And they became, a, and Little Edie became sort of a fashion icon. But uh, Vern, tell me uh, what got you interested in writing writing this uh, book and adding it to the uh, voluminous um, collection of material that has been written about it and shown about it. Sure. Well, I want to say thank you so much for having me on your program, and um, I'm really enjoying the opportunity to speak with you today about my book. So it was uh, summer of 2020, and uh, we were all dealing with COVID. Some of us, uh, you know, in lockdown and kind of living in vacuums. So I was at my summer house in South Hold, and I was just kind of scrolling, laying on the couch, going through, you know, different movie options to watch. And I came across in the documentary section, the picture of little Edie standing in front of Grey Gardens, which was really a decrepit looking home. And she had this sort of tattered looking fur coat and head coverings and this sort of interesting look on her face. And I pressed the button to play and down the rabbit hole I went. And I was at the time, I guess maybe say 53, and I had never heard of Grey Gardens. And I've lived on Long Island for 20 years. And I summered in uh, the town of Greenport uh, for many years. And I just wasn't familiar with Grey Gardens. But boy, did this film acquaint me with it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Grey Gardens and what that that was the name of a, of a house. But t tell us about the story. About the movie that the documentary that the Maisels made. Yeah. So um, it's a 1976 documentary. And it's been around for a long time. It has really like a cult following following at this point. And it was shot within six weeks. And it took, boy, I think about a year and a half for the editors to really create a story out of all of the footage. And it is about a, a mother and daughter. To me, it's a love story and how they live together in a house that was literally falling apart around them. And there was singing and dancing and sort of, you know, this dysfunctional relationship that viewers are brought into. And I think at the end of the documentary, viewers, or at least myself, are left with more questions than answers. And 
that made me go down the rabbit hole and want to learn more. And you had mentioned there were other films. So I watched The Beals of Grey Gardens that summer, which was almost the prequel. The house was in much worse shape when it was being filmed in that summer. One movie was made, uh, starred uh, Jessica Lange as Lady. Just going to mention that one, which was um, an HBO version. And Drew Barrymore and Jessica Lange uh, portrayed the Edies. They both did beautiful, beautiful jobs portraying them and looking like them. There was also, you know, on Broadway, there was, I think it was 2007, <laughs> there was a, a musical. I yes. mean, the lives of so many creative people out there. Well, and- the, I think what, the, what was going on, I, I remember it from the beginning because uh, they were having food delivered by uh, uh, Dreesen's Meat Market in uh, East Hampton, who the delivery boy was reporting this was a very unsanitary condition with many like 23 cats raccoons they're all in and out of the house and it it turned out they'd been living there as a time warp uh, yeah. because uh big Edie, when young was divorced from her wealthy husband in the social set wound up with this house and lived in it uh, and it all fell apart around her and she never tried fixing it up or changing it and her daughter joined joined her and sort of was under her control, the control of the older woman about not ever leaving, but Little Edie wanted to be a movie star and she uh, still couldn't leave. And even at the end of the book, uh, couldn't leave. And I, I recall going there once and you it was a haunted house, but there was a light on inside. Yeah. And also they were related to Jackie Kennedy. They were her uh, aunt and cousin, Yes, the, they were. The Bouviers were a very, I think, uh, integrated family in East Hampton. And right. John Bouvier, um, I think he was the second, um, was a great orator. He was a lawyer and financier in uh, Manhattan. And I believe he was you know, involved in the town in leadership. And uh, the Bouviers, yeah, Jackie Kennedy Onassis is definitely a very important family member to them, as well as her sister, Lee Radziwell, who had married a prince and was Princess Lee Radziwell. That's what made it so special. The uh, nickname for her uh, father, who abandoned both of them, uh, was uh, uh, Blackjack Bouvier. Yes, Blackjack. It was almost like a movie in itself. Yeah, and uh, a a lot of intrigue. And it stayed there like that for about 25, 30 years and 40 years. And uh, that's when the, these filmmakers came. So, so to now you now it's on your, your court. You tell us from there. I just wanted to make sure the viewers knew what this was about, all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just was so intrigued by what I had seen in the documentary. I watched the other films that were out there and I enjoyed the HBO version of the story as well. And I was writing a different story at the time. And it just kind of morphed into a story about the Edies. And one thing that's very important for me as a podcast host and as an author, so I have two podcasts. One is about Mahjong, a game that I love to play. And the other is about Grey Gardens and it's titled Grey Gardens. It's very important for me to honor the Edies. Yes, they were two eccentric women and they chose to live life very differently than many. And I didn't want to focus on the negativity, but to really focus on 
their strengths, their strengths individually as women, collectively as a mother and daughter duo, and bringing in the strength of women around them within their family and their friends. So that would be Jackie, that would be Lee, Lois Wright, who was a friend that was very um, a very near and dear friend to, to Big Edie, and she actually just passed away last week. And uh, she was 95 years old and she had lived with the Edie's for about a year. And she wrote a book about it called 13 Months and Beyond uh, Living oh. There at, at Grey Gardens. And she was an artist and a palm reader. So she had um, a program, LTV, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Dan. I'd met her uh, a couple of times, very I'm slow, sure. slow talking, yes. kind of spooky person in many ways. <laughs> And, yeah, uh, she's a very spiritual woman. And um, yeah, and I actually had the chance to meet her last summer, uh, a friend of hers. Um, his name is Brian Buck, and he runs the Grey Gardens Facebook group. And he's a dear friend, was a dear friend of Lois's. And I was able to go with him and visit with her. And it was really quite special and, and memorable to me. Um so, you know, I put together the story, it took me three years to write, there was, you know, lots of research I did, and um, crafting a story, you know, really takes time, I worked with professionals, with developmental editors, and copy editor, I, I self-published my book, but I wanted to make sure I surrounded myself with a team of professionals to really make this book a high-quality book and read and um, I, I enjoyed working with the cover designer. And I think that we really kind of nailed it. I've gotten so many um, compliments on the cover. And I wanted to depict little Edie. And as we know, when she's reading her Zolar book of the stars, she has her uh, magnifying glass, which we can see right here. And she's got the family um, brooch. And I have a copy that I'm wearing. A another copy of this was used by Drew Barrymore in the HBO version, and uh, Christine Ebersol wore a copy of this on stage as well when she, she was- won, She won Emmys as, yeah. for Grey Gardens. Yes, yes, yes. It was really just amazing. And I think that this is a story that just touches the heart of, of so many people. And it's not just really a niche read for Grey Gardens fans, because as I said earlier, it's a story that really talks about the power of women and the supportive women around us, you know, individually, collectively, and it's a mother and daughter love story. And um, people that have read it so far that have reached out to me have enjoyed the story. And I'm so grateful for that, because when an author pours their heart and soul into uh, their story, they hope that it will be well received by readers. Did you take any kind of a different approach to others who've written books about them? My book is different. Number one, I didn't meet the Edies. I didn't live with them. There's a few books by two people that had the opportunity to, to live with them. Um, I adore the book by the Maisel's Daughters. They created a book called Grey Gardens and it's um, a beautiful collage book. And it has the transcript from all of the, the words that were you know spoken in Grey Gardens. And there's just beautiful pictures and collages. I really enjoy that. But there's not a book like mine yet. 
uh, which is a story where I feel it kind of fills in some of the blanks. It's historical fiction. It's women's contemporary fiction. Um, it's not a biography by any means. It is. It, I do bring in elements of their lives that did happen and names of people that lived in their life. But I created, I guess, some of the backstory and filler to really, I feel, flesh out the movie Grey Gardens because I was left with so many questions instead of answers. And so I hope that my book kind of created um, a story that fills in the blanks for readers and it certainly honors the Edies and um, shows the hardships of women in the 1920s. There were constraints that women had to face and Big Edie, you know, being a soprano singer and being trained for so long, but yet couldn't go on stage to sing because women of society didn't do such things. It was really, really hard for her. It was like the push and pull for many years, but it eventually was part of the demise of, of her marriage to Feel and Beale. And know. there was so many conflicting emotions that uh, her daughter uh, uh, felt when the, when the uh, Maisels came to film, she jumped on it. It was like, this is my way to stardom, you know, and I'll tell Absolutely. them. Absolutely. And I and I tie that into the story. Can I read the back copy for you and the listeners for a little bit of intrigue? Uh you you could for a couple of minutes, yes. We Yeah, it won't it won't take long. It's just the back copy. And I think it gives sort of oh. um, you know, a, a window into what the story is about. It's a dual timeline story, and it it weaves the stories together and culminates in a very beautiful, poignant ending. Okay, Grey Gardens, 1972. Little Edie Beale had high hopes of becoming a star, sole companion and caretaker for her mother on a rundown property full of feral animals, tangled overgrowth, and piles of trash. The unmarried 50-something craves a way out. But when she attempts to burn away some of the clutter, the loyal daughter is horrified when the fire department arrives and triggers a slew of code violations and threats of eviction. 1923, Big Edie Beale longed to unleash her voice. Born a gifted soprano, she bristled every time her lawyer father and husband told her to put her stage ambitions aside and manage their sprawling seaside home and gardens. And when she decided to pursue music despite their judgment, the pampered socialite was left divorced with an empty bank account and a house too large to maintain. Driven to the brink by her mother's resolve to stay in the moldering mansion, until her last breath, little Edie seeks help from their well-connected family. And as a film crew shows up to document the pair's drastic domesticity, Big Edie seizes the chance to speak her piece as little Edie shines in the spotlight, hoping to secure her dreams of fame. Can mother and daughter reclaim harmony as they share their heartbreaks with the world? So as you said, this was little Edie's opportunity to finally be a star. And the book opens... Uh, with little Edie going through an old trunk up in the attic and she finds her diary. So little Edie, as many readers know, she wrote diaries and there was um, a book by a family member. She compiled some diaries when little Edie was a girl. It was a really interesting read. So the story opens up with the diary and she flashes back being a little girl in their Madison Avenue apartment, reading a book with her mom, wanting to be a star. And then at the end of the book, we find out, does she does she find stardom? What is her definition of stardom? And how does she feel about it at that point in her life after being in a film? 
That's a, that's a very good, interesting approach. Um, I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about her fashion. She oh, she's a was, fashion icon. She uh, became such a fashion icon, it seemed to, by trying to drape herself in things that they didn't have, that they had in the house, but uh, weren't meant to be used in certain ways. And uh, in in some ways, you you tell me it, it spawned a kind of uh, following to people. It, it it did certainly after the film came out, there were American fashion designers. Um, I don't have their names off the top of my head, but there were three American fashion designers that were influenced by Grey Gardens. And uh, Little Edie suffered from alopecia, so she wore head coverings, and. Um, that became a look in some of the fashion magazines. And she would cover her head with towels, with beautiful scarves, sweaters. She used clothing in very unconventional ways. She could do so much with the twist of a fabric or by adding safety pins. And there's a particular segment in the documentary when she's describing her costume of the day. And it was quite a mouthful. Um, but she really had such fashion sense and Jackie Onassis had sent a lot of clothes things that maybe she wasn't wearing anymore or things to to help them have a wardrobe there she would send items uh you know blankets and and gift baskets little Edie had the opportunity to have some really special pieces and she would you know combine them together and and as we see in the in the documentary and the other films, she has some very outlandish outfits, but yes. <laughs> they're fabulous. And that's what makes her so, so wonderful. I mean, she really could have been a fashion designer. And I talk about that a little bit in the book as well. And, um, you know, she kind of saunters into her mother's room, like pretending it's a catwalk and um, showing a particular outfit that she's picked out for the day. And um, there's a section of the book where there's a knock on the door and it's the, uh, the Department of Health, and she's coming down looking kind of like a, a futuristic, I guess, uh, fashionista. But she really, I, I think, had a way with with clothing and and blending styles and colors and fabrics and and just bringing a look together. And I I find it so amazing that Liz Lang, who's the current owner of Grey Gardens, um, was a, a fashion designer and a fashion icon. Did you go to Grey Gardens? No, I've driven past. And the East Hampton Historical Society is having um, like a, a house tour and Grey Gardens is included in that. So I will be going yeah. um, on that tour. I'm very excited for it. But I love the connection that Liz, who's so connected to fashion and she currently owns um, a, a wonderful company called Fig, it's women's caftans. And I just love the connection of Edie's fashion. And now the owner of the home is this, you know, fashion icon here in, in American culture. And um, it's, yeah, it's very special. How you got interested in uh, writing a book? It's really more of an avocation for me. I had studied fashion merchandising and marketing while I was in college and, uh, you know, worked in that field for a little while. My, I actually married someone who's in the field. Uh, my husband has a textile company, uh, focuses on, on linens that he imports. But it's really more of an avocation. I became, you know, a mom, a stay-at-home mom for so many years. And I work part-time as a religious school teacher. Uh, it's just been a dream of mine. And, um, you know, I've taken courses and I've studied and I've learned. And I was able to 
to bring that dream to uh, to fruition. My first book was Mahjong Mondays. It was a memoir, a story about family, faith, and love, and about the game that I love to play and the very special friendships that exist around a Mahjong table. And um, so that's, yeah, that's my my story to, to write. Well, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. I appreciate talking to you and good luck with your book. And um, also tell me about Greenport. Tell, spend a few minutes talking about it. Oh, been, how long have you been coming out there? Sure. So I came out in utero. Um, you know, my grandfather built the house um, decades and decades ago. So um, I came out there as once I was born and uh, my mother was an avid boater and was kind of more like a tomboy. So we would go out on the boat all the time. We would go fishing and clamming. We would ha we had lobster pots. We went uh, water skiing and then we just in, had such wonderful, magical summers. I never went to summer camp. It was always, you know, coming out to Greenport and spending time there. Unfortunately, when my parents divorced, that marital asset got sold. So the seed was planted. And mm -hmm. the love that I've had for the East End has been there my whole life. My brother lives in East Marion. And I had um, this golden opportunity to, to buy a home three years ago in Southhold. And I love spending time out there. It's my little Shangri-La. It's right on the water. And um, I don't have to explain to you, Dan, the beauty of the East End of Long Island. Very true. What do you enjoy doing when you're out here? Um, well, we have a boat ourselves. Uh, my husband uh, had a very hard time with COVID and almost didn't make it. And he said if he gets out of the hospital, he wants to buy a boat. So we bought a boat and we um, enjoy being out on the boat fishing and just, you know, driving around and tubing. Just love, you know, sitting and, and relaxing out back, looking at the water, biking, berry picking, uh, just getting together with friends, going to the beach. So many wonderful things to do here on the yeah, island. Was there a buffalo farm or a goat farm or something up there? Yeah, there, there's a goat farm. And I have passed buffalo. I don't remember where they are um, exactly. Yeah. But there is there's certainly lots, lots of farming out here. And it's it's beautiful. I mean, I my main residence is in Melville, which is center of the island. And although it's very beautiful and suburban here, it's a different feel out in South Hold. It's more rustic. Yeah, and it's, it it's just so so beautiful and so therapeutic, and um, and I love it and I feel so honored to to be a resident of Southhold. Well, thank you for being on the, the the podcast, and look forward to hearing what happens with your book. And uh, thanks very much again. Thank you, Dan. Okay, bye bye.